Hey, hey, folks, it's Get Cynical, mini season one, episode three. And today, I've got great news. We found Alaska. We've been looking for a while, and we finally found her. And today, we're going to be talking about not the book, not the book, mind you, which I've been told is actually a little different than uh, what we watched. We watched the recent Hulu miniseries, the Hulu miniseries that came out in 2019, 14 years after the book came out, 14 whole years, although it's set in 2005, and it is cool to see how much, like, how, you know, how stars, like, you can see red shifts from their travels over light years of time. You can see kind of the red shift of culture over these past 14 years. Um... And uh, yeah, Looking for Alaska, this is, I believe, John Green, isn't this his first book? Or was it his Yeah, I think it is, yeah. Yeah, it's number one. And they've been trying to make it as stuff, or as, as mostly as movies for ages. Um, and then it kind of finally arrived in this form many yeah. years later. Yeah, no, the, uh, the bloat of miniseries has been a blessing to novel adaptations everywhere. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I hate to give it up to this this format, which is by and large terrible. Like, I I think the the limited miniseries is one of the worst fucking formats possible, um, uh, just for any dramatic work whatsoever. And uh, yeah, um, uh, but it has been a blessing for these types of novel adaptations because it's pretty difficult to put 400 pages of novel into like two hours of movie even like two and a half you have to cut a lot of stuff down so yeah no this was a ideal time i'm sure i'm sure all the the green heads out there were pleased with this adaptation and me myself uh going into this knowing nothing about alaska but the fact that she uh spoilers kills herself maybe question mark possibly knowing nothing about that I found that this miniseries was okay. I thought it was perfectly competent prestige TV for 15-year-olds, for whatever it is. If I wanted to have a funny contrarian opinion, which I'm always trying to do, I could say that this is the exact same as Stranger Things. Um, you know, <laughs> I think I need, to, I need to take that one out to the shop for like a, a little bit more to really like hone it down, but... I think uh, I think if you gave me enough time, I could come up with like a really really irritating opinion comparing this movie to Stranger or this series to Stranger Things and saying they're about the same in terms of quality and just general everything. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll keep that one in my back pocket for now. Uh, Esther, Hannah, you I don't think you knew anything about this judging by our last episode. Um, what did you? Uh, what did what did you think? What did you did you find Alaska in your hearts? I mean, yeah, sort of. I, I think that like something that we continually were talking about because um, Spencer, you watched like all of it, right? Um, watched is very generous. I had this on while I was playing uh, Demon Souls and Dark Souls for the PlayStation Five. Um, <laughs> I I think I I actually absorbed quite a lot of it since I know those games by like the back of my hand so i i think i was actually am pretty primed to talk about this but yes i did i did sit through the whole thing and i had angie like watching most of it with me and kind of taking notes for me yeah for sure 
Um, Esther and I watched episodes one and two and then six, seven, eight. Yeah. Um, Because we wanted to kind of get like a sense of the establishing part of it. And then um, I looked ahead at like the Wikipedia synopses and figured that like, okay, well, six is when the stuff involving like Alaska's death really kicks off. So let's just watch everything from there on. Um, And I I, kind of had fun watching the episodes that we did. It felt really like it was a pretty well-made, like, teen dramedy show that was stretched out to about twice the length that it should have been. Um, I know you said that, like, a movie would have been too short for this, and, like, maybe. Um, I I could definitely see that. But I think that eight episodes, and again, I need to... stress that some of these episodes are like the full hour right these are not 40 minute episodes it's it it gets in its own way a lot with like the the type of padding and like the last two episodes i think there is one very good episode of material in there but then it just fucking drags yeah the pro the problem is like I don't, I understand if you're like, oh, uh, and I said, if by you, I mean like the people making this, like, oh, well, th- this novel, like, you can't adapt it as a uh, movie without cutting too much. We have to adapt it as a series. But one, uh, it seems like very little happens in this story. Like, th- when we looked over the three episodes that we skipped, um, we could have just picked up at episode six and missed literally nothing because it's just three more, more episodes of like, and the kids play pranks on each other. Yeah. yeah. That's like it. Some relationships end and some relationships sort of start. But two, from what I'm seeing here, they added a shit ton. They added um, a shit ton. And I'm going to be honest, the stuff they added is probably the best part of this. I'm maybe it is. I've won yeah, specific I mean, thing. I mean, I, I'm I'm kind of a list of of the stuff that they expanded on, um, and you know that it's stuff that is mainly like fleshing out sort of the secondary characters and um, giving you know. I mean, there's basically a whole episode. This whole second episode here doesn't happen in the book. Mm. Yeah. Um. But it is like I don't know. I just feel like I mean these episodes. 55 minute television episodes are like the work of the devil. They yeah. they shouldn't exist. These episodes go on forever. Um and it you know, it is per, it is competent work. It's not bad. There's actually stuff, yeah, like Hannah said, I agree. There's stuff I like specifically in the last episode or set or a couple of episodes that is like pretty good. Um but it is just like just torturously long. Um there's a lot of very funny, weird tonal stuff um, that, that we're gonna be able to talk about. That yes. is like, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what you were thinking there. Um, it is very, there is stuff that it's very obvious that was added because it is uh, all universally like, let's you know get into, let's make this the black mid character like a more of a real character. That stuff could not be more obviously added. Yes. <laughs> it, like it just screams like we're do we need to do a reparative reading of looking for Alaska <laughs> in twenty nineteen. Yeah. yeah. It's a very very funny book to be like, yeah, we need to you know, we need to retroactively fix some of the stuff. A book by John Green, like the most self flagellating white ally in existence. Like <laughs> yeah, we need to take him to task. Um I will say, in the defense of this uh, eight-hour behemoth, um, 
I was way less bored with this than I was for the two hour paper towns. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I think it's very clear that like, if these kids met the paper towns kids and they would like a single punch from miles pudge halter would like leave an exit wound the size of a basketball in yeah, queue. No. I, oh, I, that's the thing. The, the I want to be one of those guys. Kids. I want to be one of those guys who does like like Metallica murdering Justin Bieber, but the looking for Alaska kids <laughs> killing the Paper Towns kids, because it it is really funny. Like how the Paper Towns kids are like they spend most of that movie just kind of like fucking around and calling each other gay. Like not really because that's not the yeah, kind of movie yeah. this is. But basically, those are the kinds of kids they are. And then it's like these are the kinds of kids who like uh, you know come to school wearing berets and smoking long cigarettes. Like, they're like they're looking for alaska kids or like the parisians yeah. of the john green universe yeah and it's so funny like on paper it sounds like paper towns would be the more enjoyable one since it's like oh they're just kids fucking around out these pretentious unpleasant assholes but like i guess it turns out that like unpleasant and annoying and irritating people like if you spend enough time with them on the screen like you can sort of get like mind warped into like enjoying their growth or even just respecting <laughs> respecting like the fact that these characters were not like precision tooled to be likable so that is the that is the that is television's trick yeah. that is how so much television has worked for for decades is like if you just spend enough time with characters eventually you will start to care about them yeah yeah no 100 percent um I guess we should give a brief summary of the plot of this behemoth um, to begin with. Yep. So the plot of Looking for Alaska in extremely brief is it is the story of a boy named Miles Halter who uh, who's obsessed with, you know, famous last words, which, by the way, I feel like that was a big deal in the book. That is not a big deal at all here. Like. It comes up in. I the, think they talk. They talk about it a fair amount. I think you didn't yeah. watch like all of the middle episodes where that just does not come <laughs> up. Like, fair enough. Like I, I, they. It comes up at the beginning and the end, and like most of the middle episodes is just like them just kind of like hanging out and just doing shit that is not related to that. Um, the uh, <laughs> he goes to this like uh, college prep school. Um, that's like it's one of those like fucked up schools like Exeter Academy where like the kids, you know, they live in dorms and they're away from their parents in high school. Um, and, uh, he befriends, you know, a racially diverse group of friends. Um, he meets Alaska, obviously Alaska is yeah. a girl, um, who he's interested in, who she's a feminist, but she's got a dark side, you know, she's got, she's got some trauma. Alaska, and it made an immediate bad impression on me because of like she the way that she is the John Green female protagonist because she is a feminist uh, they they refer her specifically as a third wave feminist which I think is a really funny two thousand five ism yeah um, to refer to like a teenage girl who says patriarchy is <laughs> specifically a third wave feminist yeah um, but the first thing she does in the show is she's like relaying a story to um, the other main character who's. Um, uh, Fuck well, the Colonel Chip. The Colonel Chip. The Colonel Martin, I believe, is his name. He's the Colonel. Um, and she like, and you know, and Miles walks in, and she just like grabs his hand and just puts it on her boob, um, as part of like the story she's telling. And it is such like a it, she is the John Green girlfriend character, where she is like, oh, you're kind of like a shy nerdy boy who doesn't know how to talk to girls, so she is just going to be like 
really unrealistically comfortable <laughs> with like sexuality in a way that like makes it okay, makes her approachable and makes it okay for you to express, you yeah. know, your sexual feelings. Um, and it's literally the first thing that happens. That, that scene reminds me of a story a friend told me of how in high school he knew like a really creepy guy who like tried to do the anime like trips falls and grabs a girl's boobs thing to like an actual <laughs> real life woman and yeah. she's just like stop <laughs> that's oh, no. that, that's the uh that's, so cool. that's the <laughs> that's the vibe i got from oh. uh that incident he also meets um uh chip the colonel martin these kids, yeah. John Green loves nicknames so much. Like he loves. Yeah, naming, we've talked about that. He loves yeah, naming I, characters like they're in fucking Mash or something. Like I'm sorry, like unless you're in a war, no one's like, "Hey, what's up? What's up?" Like uh, uh slick or whatever. Like I yeah, went. The, I I gotta say, Chip the Colonel Martin. He worked for me. Yeah, no, um, he's, he's cool. I, I like him. Yeah, I, I think that again, if if he were to fight, uh, was it Marcus Marcus Radar Lincoln? Radar Lincoln. He would just yeah. like teleport behind him and say, "You're already dead," and it yeah. would be that quick. Chip, yeah. Chip, Chip, the Colonel Martin has the moment I laughed at the most in the series. I never had episode six, which I can't wait to talk about. Chip, <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Um, the guy who played Chip, Denny Love, is seems pretty t- pretty cool. Apparently, he did not. Uh, what is it? He. He didn't know John Green's work basically until he auditioned for the role. So that's pretty sick. I respect that. Two, the actor who plays him is really, really fucking good. Like I, he was on, yeah. he's on uh, Empire. He like, yeah, no, he is, he is genuinely like, okay, this this guy is really fucking talented. I get why he's there. Twenty six at the time of this. Yeah, no, the. <laughs> The Dawson casting here is pretty awesome. Like I, I thought they were in college because, and I was like, yeah, why is like why are they getting in trouble for having sex in college? Like that feels like illegal. Yeah. But then, um, no. Well, in high- general, I think the school, the, the school, like I get that it's one of those like dorm high schools. But when it started, I was kind of like, is this summer camp? Because they're like out in the woods and like log cabins too. Yeah. No, this it has the vibe of a school that you send kids who like set fires or something, basically, like <laughs> with all the woods around. Um, there's also uh, uh, Takumi Hikuhito, uh, a friend of Alaska or a friend of Alaska and Chip, who really well, knows. You want to talk about non-white character names, by the way? <laughs> yeah. No. Oh, wait. Okay. Can I can I yep. tell you something important about the background of this? Yes. What? Um. Because, like, John Green has spoken about how, like, it's based on his, like, actual high school life. Um, Obviously, like, he didn't know a manic pixie dream girl who, like, you know, wrapped her car around a tree. Uh, But he said that, like, oh, aside from, like, the specific events of the plot, like, it it very much mirrors my, like, experience with, like, making friends for the first time in high school. And the kid on whom Takumi is primarily based, it's not, like, a one-to-one thing. But he was a Filipino kid. And I, I think that there is some kind yes. of pathology in turning your Filipino friend into a Japanese MC. Named yeah. Hikohito. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. They got rid of his Filipino swag completely and turned him into a <laughs> a completely like just a cipher. Like this kid, like all he all he does is just to be like the other guy who's there to like bounce conversations off of. Yeah. I, um, I will say, and I, I don't want to get 
ahead of myself on this, but like I think he did have my favorite moment in the show. Yes, uh, late in the run. <laughs> um, then there's uh, Laura Buterskaya. It, just reading her name, it sounds like Laura Buttersky, and she's a Romanian girl um, who uh, basically hooks up with Pudge and is like the other girl in this situation. And then um, this uh, this cast is rounded out by uh, Mr. Starnes, who's the dean, the damn dean, you know, that that horrible dean, as we all know from uh, college movies. He also has a nickname that everyone calls him. The mm-hmm. Eagle. Um, the Eagle. Is the yeah. I, I like I went to a college prep school like the nicknames that they have for kids are always just like fuck face or asshole or piece of shit. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the most the most creative nickname is like there would be a kid whose last name is McDonald and they'd call him Mickey D like that. That's how creative you get. No one's calling him like old sport or whatever this is a very like <laughs> I, I don't i don't think i think this is something that only existed like before computers like basically yeah um and i i guarantee you that like john green and his like high school friends did not have the cute nicknames no yeah um and it, yeah i i think it's just like very emblematic it's like obviously like there is artistic license in terms of Making a story that would otherwise just be kind of like this autobiographical, semi-autobiographical, like coming of age thing, have this like real moment of central pathos to it. But it is also just really telling to like have your first novel be like, yo, what if it was just me and my friends, but something actually happened to us? Yeah, that's the thing with all all of John Green stuff so far that we've talked about has all felt super like aspirational, but like Mm -hmm. backwards aspirational. Like I wish that my teenage years had been interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Then there's uh, Dr. Hyde, who's an uh, elderly religious teacher. He teaches religion at the school. Um, He is uh, basically uh, like gay um, Colonel West or something like he is. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, that's basically his whole deal. He does get one of the most significant expansions from the novel, Angie told me. And uh I think one of the best ones, it's definitely playing for like year end best scenes stuff, but uh, it, it did work for me. I like, I'll fully admit. Um, and it's fine. I, he is definitely like in, in every movie and TV show like this, he is the teacher who's like, uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, to welcome to themes class. I will be your professor. Uh, we will be checking it every week to sort of yeah. <laughs> uh, explore what the episode is about through uh, a different uh, context. Yeah. yeah, no. Um, but I still was so offended at at Doctor Hyde because he said like we're going to be uh, okay. uh, like analyzing the three important religions of the world, which yeah. are like Christianity, Islam, and Buddhism. Yes, yeah, speak I on did. It. I did say speak it out. Hey, <laughs> speak on it, brother. Preach. <laughs> it would be funny if he was like a black Israelite or something. And- <laughs> yeah. Just his 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 whole shtick is that he is just like anti-Semitic behind everything, but um, <laughs> they have to call him the Honorable Prophet Doctor Hyde in class. <laughs> um, but anyways, the the first chunk of this is basically just there's the Miles his friend group, and they're kind of like sorta outsiders, not really. Um, and then there's a group of like frat boys, basically. And the first six episodes of this are more or less just a series of escalating pranks between the groups. Like 
you know, they're, they're snobby <laughs> assholes and they're mean to uh, Alaska and all these other guys. They're really viciously mean to the colonel, um, which I don't know if that's in the book, but uh, that was kind of I, a, I, that was a clutch move on the a- adaptations part to make him black because like, then you get that whole like racial element in there too, just to like. Well, that's the thing. That's yeah. what struck me so much about the way they interact with him is that they're like they will be really mean to him, but they're like, "Hey, hey you short asshole! You're so yeah. small and short, and I'm not going to make fun of any other and, characteristic." And, and like, yeah. you're, you're from a trailer park. Yeah. Yeah, the only and, thing is that they go. And he's poor. Yeah, they they studiously avoid any racial comment whatsoever. Now, yeah, he, no, he he is constantly going after them in retaliation for being white, but it's like. They all have that look that like young actors will like young white actors will have at this point where it's like if you told me that this guy was like half Filipino, I'm like <laughs> I would have no choice to believe you. Yeah, no, they but all I, have. Just like... imagine the, the weekend warriors, these like frat boys, just being like, "Oh yeah, Colonel. Well, actually, two of us are Filipino, and you'll never <laughs> guess which one." Yeah, no. Yeah, they all have like the they all have the Zoomer fade too. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, in 2005, they were really innovating. Yeah, no. Um, this was before even that was just the haircut for, like, if you loved Hitler. Like, they were, they were like, <laughs> freaks of nature by then. Like, uh, <laughs> anyways, if this was, like, more period accurate, they'd be, like, having saggy pants and wallet chains and shit. Um, yeah. But basically, you know, it's an escalating series of pranks. And uh, there's this underlying tension because the, the weekend warriors are mean to them because... They think one of them ratted out their friend for uh, having sex in um, in the in the dorm. Which the sex scene, the the first moment I had like an out of body experience watching this was they so in kind of a cute move for like the music dork for me. All of the, a lot of the music from this is from like around two thousand five or a little earlier. Mm-hmm. Like they try to keep it period accurate, and they have like covers of songs like that are more recent but like they're still from the time and uh, <laughs> you know at the at this they have like a really sparse indie cover of a song playing during the sex scene slash raid and when i was listening to it i like heard a lyric that i re- remembered and i'm like wait what and then i like kept listening and i'm like stop stop and i rewound the scene and it's like a fucking like indie pop cover of Milkshake by Keyless. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the fucked up can, thing can is like. Can we talk about. The fucked up thing is, is like, I loathe that genre of indie pop with a passion. Like the stomp, clap, hey shit, you know, all of that stuff. Clap your hands, say yeah, tune yards, like all of those bands, like uh, Black Keys arguably count, like all of that shit. There that is was... a clap your hands, say yeah, needle drop in the first Oh episode. yeah, no. Uh, oh yeah. Right away. Yeah, no. Can we all... talk about the needle drops, honestly? Because yes, but let my jaw dropped a little further every single time. that we I sent a list to everyone of all 48 uh, <laughs> 2000s needle drops that they have in here. And it's like, they got the strokes, the white stripes, when the when the laugh from the beginning of Feel Good Inc. played in episode two, I fucking lost my shit. I could not believe. I, I was mentally prepared for that, that. Since me and my friends like have a habit of watching like bad aughts movies for fun when we're bored, and the Alex Ryder adaptation, Stormbreaker, That's, has Feel Good that. Inc. in it. Has Feel Good Inc. in it. And that was <laughs> such a like 
dissociative effect that when they played it here, I was like, yeah, I've seen the shit before. It's fine. The one that like <laughs> took me out was um, aside from Milkshake, which I got to say the fucking indie pop cover of that they have as much as I hate the genre. It's like if you get past the fact that the idea of an indie pop cover of Milkshake is like offensive on multiple levels. It's not the worst thing I've ever heard. The one that really just like kicked me in the head was um, when they have Daft Punk is playing at my house playing at a party by LCD Sound System. That yeah, one, I, I that one, I like, saw that on the list because that was from an episode we didn't watch, and I was like, "Damn, I, I actually wish I had seen that." <laughs> that one took me out because, um, you know, if I can, I can get embarrassing here. When I was in high school, I was in a class where me and a couple people, like an independent study, where we wrote a screenplay. And a lot of what we wrote was basically just like, haha, we're all high school friends, but something actually happens because, you know, we're high schoolers. That's what we wrote. <laughs> and I personally wanted to put Daft Punk is playing at my house on a party scene and seeing that like cause just like a like a moment, like a 2001 A Space Odyssey ending type moment in my head. That was just like a horrifying experience, just like kind of looking into what could have been. But anyhow, yeah, yeah. no, the, the needle the, drops. Oh, go on. They're, they're really, I was, I was going to say, you're right about the milkshake one, because like that one is at least honest, because one of the favorite things uh, that white people did in the mid 2000s was do, and it was hysterically funny. They would do a rap song, but they would actually do it uh, with real instruments and they would sing instead of rap. And it was uh, the funniest thing. It was the funniest thing in the world. Uh, classically, uh, Ben Folds 5 did this with, um, oh, what did they do? Just saying shit. Yes, with yeah. just saying shit. Okay, okay, more, more had a high school lore. Um, the, the girlfriend that I had that was really obsessed with this book, there was a, uh, oh my God, he, he was the, the half Japanese, half Filipino kid uh, who had an acoustic guitar cover of uh, Hey Ya that he would always break out at like oh boy open mic yeah. nights at our school who was like desperately in love with her and like trying to like <laughs> steal her away from me. Yeah. Hey Ya isn't as offensive. Like if it was Miss Jackson, I think that would be like, yeah, you got to be yeah. in prison for that. Oh, but man. Um, also, uh, Sellout Era Modest Mouse on the soundtrack too. Like oh, yeah. they pulled <laughs> out all the fucking stops. And you know what? I'm just going to say it. It was kind of a relief because... The Fallen Our Stars soundtrack and the Paper Town soundtrack, those are all car commercial music. Like all of yeah, that is just true. stuff. All of that stuff is like ambient guys going like, woohoo in the background over like sweeping synths. It is like, it is the audio equivalent of porridge. And this is like, a lot of this is bad. A lot of this is music I hate, but it's like a comforting warm blanket of bad music. So I was like, fully vibing with like some of the more inscrutable choices. Like when they have PIMP by 50 cent playing over one of the prank scenes, I was like, yeah, fucking sign me up. You know what? Go for it. I don't care. Um, Oh, oh, oh. In, in the first episode, I think the one that made me laugh the most was they play uh, all these things I've done by the killers and they cut it right before that. I got soul, but I'm not a soldier. The, the, the best part. Oh uh, yeah. Yes. That uh, <laughs> another story that like, reminds me of is uh, apparently my friend was in a club in uh, Cyprus. Uh, it was either Cyprus or Athens, and they were playing. They played "Dance Yourself Clean" by LCD Sound System, and they stopped the song right before the drop. 
And he said it was one of the most like disorienting experiences he's ever had. This is like oh. in the same ballpark. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I feel dizzy just thinking about that. <laughs> that's like a, that's awesome. Like you blue balled an entire fucking room full of people on MDMA. That's awesome. It takes like three and a half minutes to get to that part. Yeah. No. It's <laughs> um, so cool. Yeah. Okay. So, um, anyhow. There's like an escalating series of pranks. Um, you know, they get meaner and meaner to Alaska prank wise. Um, they end up ruining uh, the 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 main group ends up ruining the Cotillion Ball, which is what the weekend warriors want to go to. Um, uh, there, I also think need to point out um, Pudge's uh or not Pudge's the Colonel has like a shitty girlfriend in this, and no. uh, she is like the worst character in any movie I have ever seen in my entire life. Like, she, yeah, she exists to fold her arms, basically. <laughs> yeah, no, she is like, I was like yelling, like, just absurdly, like, horrible shit at the screen whenever she was on there. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, me, like, uh, like, there's a scene where she's like, hated. yeah, there was like, there's a scene where she was like scolding, and it's like even worse now because her boyfriend's black. So she was like scolding him for ruining their like racially segregated ball he wasn't invited to. And, like, it's kind of played yeah. as, like, a, well, both sides have a point here moment. And, like, me and Angie were like, this bitch sucks so much. Oh, my God. Like, yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ, It's man. a weird thing. Like, they, in they introduce these characters as, like, uh, the colonel literally says, like, yeah, neither of us really like each other, but I guess we're in love for some reason. And it really is the most, like, the writers throwing up their hands. Like, I don't know. We she ha She's in the book. We yeah, have yeah. to do something about this. Yeah, no. Um... Yeah, there's, you know, the pranks escalate. They ruin the cotillion. Um, what is it? And Alaska and Alaska and Miles kind of draw closer to each other. Um, Alaska has a college-aged boyfriend who's like kind of a nice dumb guy that she's uh, eventually wants to break up with. But also Miles' is like affection is kind of split between him and this uh, Romanian girl who, I've got to be honest, is you know, a lot better. seems like a much better girlfriend than Alaska, who is kind of irritating through a lot of this. And he just treats her like complete shit the entire time, which yep. that's like kind of accurate. Like that's kind of fair to be like, that's a teenage boy, nice guy thing to do to like have a girl who is giving you attention, who you don't deserve it. And then just be like, Oh, I'm in like, I'm in love with someone else. So I'm just going to be awful to you. Um, yeah. Oh uh, yeah, that's not really like a mark against the story. It's just it like I saw it and I was like just clenching teeth the entire time. Yeah, I think like something that's like worth noting about her is that like she doesn't really have a whole lot of traits. Um yeah. she's like she she's she's like religious and she's like nice and she's like a little like naive with her being foreign yeah. and everything, right? Um, but then, like, at the end of the show, like, you mentioned how uh, our, our our best friend Takumi uh, also is pretty light in the traits department. And he and Lara just sort of, like, implicitly get together. Yeah. Like, after Miles' relationship with her sort of dissolves. Um, and it, it feels like, like, oh, well, Miles, um, you know, that relationship didn't end up working out because, yeah, she kind of didn't have enough traits for him. And he's, like, really desperate for like a girl who's gonna like rock his world and everything um but then it's just like oh your solution to that is just to like pair up the two characters that you like have the fewest ideas for that's cool yeah yeah 
beyond that, uh, you know, they, they sort of continue like drawing closer together. They have a, they really kind of like become a thing proper when they uh, spend Thanksgiving together um, alone since Alaska can't go home for tragic reasons. And Miles just wants to stay there because he wants to sleep with her. And uh, they spend a lot of time with, uh, what is it? <laughs> they spend a lot of time with the, uh, the the gay Colonel West character. And the thing that I will fully admit worked for me is they, I don't know, I don't think he's gay in the book. And uh, He is not, according to, this, according yeah, to my research, one, he is not. One thing that is definitely not in the book is that he has this very, like, tragic and kind of foreshadowing-y backstory where he is not married, does not have kids, and is not on good terms with his family because um, he had a boyfriend uh, who he really loved and cared about uh, in the 1980s, and the boyfriend died of AIDS. And uh, he has just not felt the need to go back to it since, since he's still hung up on it. And, you know, they have this scene at the end. And again, this is like so pandering and manipulative, but like, I'm sorry, stuff about like old gay couples dying of AIDS, just like, I don't know, it's like a cheat code for me. Um, you have a scene where all the characters are dancing over Thanksgiving, um, you know, like uh, Miles and, uh, you know, Miles and the Colonel dancing at Thanksgiving in Alaska. And then it cuts to him like slow dancing with his like younger boyfriend, basically. And then it like pans over to him just sitting in a chair quietly thinking about it. And that was just like a jolt to the cranium for me. Like I fully was like, God damn it. That they, they pulled it off. It's such fucking prestige TV searching for a claim on AV club shit. But like, I'm sorry, man, I'm not made of stone. That's the one weakness I have. Uh, that subplot, unfortunately, did have a moment that made me really laugh, which is later in the se- later in the season, they do a flashback to the boyfriend's funeral. And, yeah. you know, classically, when you have a scene like this, because he's talking about how, like, yeah, my boyfriend's family wouldn't let me be at the funeral. Usually when you do this scene, the character is, like, way off, like, behind some trees, like, looking from afar. Um yeah. And like in like in shadow, so that uh, so that you can't see him. But in the scene, he's like standing ten feet away behind the gate in broad daylight, and it's very apparent that everyone there can like would be able to see him just standing there. Yeah, and it cracked me up because it was just staged so bizarrely. Yeah, um, man. No, it's a uh, again. It's there is some inept uh, stuff going on. But anyways, yeah. episode six, Miles, um, after being violently rejected by her, eventually gets very drunk with uh gets very drunk with her on the night the colonel is about to get kicked out of school for being uh for pulling a prank involving Dr. I would really like to talk about this because it's got some cinema since it's my well no it's just it's my favorite uh bit of the entire series because the whole series the whole fucking season is about them playing pranks on each other and facing zero consequence, and the colonel specifically has this real, like, righteous, like, um, you know, we're really fucking with them, we're doing whatever, we can do whatever we want. Um, like, they set off fireworks, they they get drunk, they, like, uh, they, the final prank is they, like, fuck with their college essays, so that all their college submissions have essays about them shitting or something. Um, and this is the one that finally gets the colonel in trouble, and he's about to be expelled, and he gets shockingly sanctimonious about it in a way that I thought was so funny. Like, this kid faces one consequence for the first time in his life, and he's like, well, I guess a black man in this society. 
<laughs> yeah. can't, get, can't be allowed to get away with anything. And it's so yeah. fucking funny. Like, in general, I think the tone and the stakes of the prank war are, are really bizarre, and that's kind of the ultimate expression of it. There's just never a sense of, like... Until that moment, like, how much trouble could they get in? Does it matter that much? Because they play it, you know, like it is, like, fucking House of Cards, the way that they're, like, subverting and undermining each other. But at the same time, this is, like, a high, like a high school TV show where they're playing fairly harmless pranks. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's something that's, like, notable there is that, like, when he's trying to, like, defend himself and, like, act outrage in front of the, the dean... Uh, he says, like, oh, well, nothing bad actually happened because, like, they all have these, like, super well-connected friends and they were just able to, like, make one call for their families and, you know, then just, like, get a redo on the whole application process. So there's no actual consequences. And he's, like, saying that as, like, a reason why, like, well, I shouldn't be punished for this. But, like, doesn't that kind of just, like, lay bare, like, how toothless all your pranks are? <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, in general, the whole prank war structure, it feels like something from the 1980s. Like, yeah, I yeah. don't know if people ever pulled these pranks to begin with. Like, I, the one prank, the one single prank that I remember happening at my high school. And that by prank, I mean like a coordinated thing, not just like someone taking a shit on the roof because they were drunk. The one really coordinated prank, and it was a really good prank to be fair, was that a bunch of seniors tied a Bluetooth speaker to a balloon, wet, let it go up to the top of this like 50 foot high cafeteria. And in the middle of like a big meeting started blasting baby got back. That was like the only thing I can recall from it, high school. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, no, that was pretty fucking tight. I got to give it up for them. But, um, <laughs> and uh, the... <laughs> No, yeah. the, these types of pranks, like, they just feel like, I mean, I'm sure there'll be some, like, 45-year-olds listening to this that are like, well, we, we, uh, you know, we, we stole the prize pig from the nearby school or whatever, but, like, <laughs> it, it feels like, it feels like a invention of TV, and it clashes with the fact that a lot of this story feels very grounded as far as, like, teenage stuff goes, yep. like, the... Character interactions, they're fairly authentic. The, you know, the reaction to someone you know dying, again, John Green, feels fairly authentic. A lot of just the day-to-day -day school stuff, aside from the fact that it's very writerly, like, yeah, welcome to, yeah, uh, welcome to Segway class. This is, uh, yeah, this is the Segway class where the bell is always ringing right when I'm in the middle of something. Yes. Yeah. Um, it it it's, does feel like, way more authentic than a lot of fucking teenage stuff I have seen does. Like, it, 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 all of this, you know, the moment-to-moment -moment aspects of this, like, do feel, like, pretty authentic as far as these things go. But then structuring it around, like, escalating pranks, it feels very, again, fake, because in real life, what these people would do is that they would just, like, bully each other, basically. Like, the weekday yeah, warriors, yeah. they wouldn't, like, flood this girl's room. They'd just, like, call her a slut or beat the shit out of her, basically. Like, that that's what would actually happen. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I think you're dead on with that stuff. Because, like, the observation that I had watching this, um, I know that when we were talking about Paper Towns, I said that it was, like, 
the Goonies for and by indoor kids. Yeah. Um, and like this time, it's like it's prestige John Hughes, you know? Yes. Yeah. Um, it, it is that type of like idealized 80s high school experience, which like, I mean, would John Green have ha- when did he actually go to high school? It would have been like so in the 90s, right? He's, uh, I think he's 75 years old. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's he was born in 1977. So yeah, in the 90s. I think. This is very, yeah. So, so this is very moderate speeds at Ridgemont High. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it it is that thing of just sort of like he claims that he did a lot of pranks in high school, but it's like, what do you actually mean by that, John? Like, yeah. I don't I don't think that you were like making everybody at the cotillion shit their pants. Yeah. Um. No, the I mean, like it, it's like kind of reaches its apex at the big climax when to honor Alaska's memory, they pull one big prank at the very end. And, um, you know, it is like, it's a funny, cute scene. It's cathartic. It does feel nice when you're watching it. It's complete bullshit also. Like, again, it's this very neat bow to put on the messy reality of like what it's like to lose someone when you're young. It's a very, like, it's... And that's like the problem with this show, which again, I'm taking it to a task for a lot of things. I didn't mind it at all. If honestly, like I would probably prefer to go to bat for it than just like, you know, say it's like the the, the damn YAification of culture. Like I would probably rather be in this fucking show's corner than anything else. If for contrarianism, if for no other reason. And at the same time though, this is the main reason why it does not transcend the John Green formula. Um, yeah, I, I wanted to note, by the way, since we're talking about like the actual experience at a school here. So the real school that John Green attended, uh, that this is based on, is called Indian Spring School. It's the same type of like, you know, uh, boarding school, prep school, like, you know, founded out as like high minded ideal of like, we're going to just kind of put you out into woods and like, teach you about life as opposed to just like, you know, having uh, a normal high school experience. Um, I want to uh, take guesses from the two of you. When was Indian Spring School desegregated? What year? 1974. What do you got to say? 1980. Ooh, Spencer's a little closer. It was desegregated in 1976. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Damn. No, I was right. Oof. I was almost there. Yeah. You were so close. Oh, God. And when did John Green attend? 1976. <laughs> he oh. was the first black kid to attack. <laughs> okay, no. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was, it would have been the 90s, right? Yeah, it would have been. The, he, he was born, what, 77? Yeah. Oh, they, yeah. There's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with uh, attending a uh, school in the South that is historically extremely racist and segregated. Uh, there's yeah. nothing to be uh, uh, ashamed about of having done that, especially a wealthy college prep school, one full of uh, frat boys. Nothing, nothing there to, uh, you know, let's move on. Um, uh, um, they, they continue and, you know, Alaska, Alaska and Miles hook up drunkenly and then it seems to be going okay. And then she says, oh fuck, I need to go now. And, um, then she's, uh, bolts. uh, Like in the middle of the night. Yeah. They say distract the Eagle. They do. And then Alaska crashes her car head first into, you know, a fucking turned over truck and dies and that's the rest of the show 
One huge change, by the way, I want to say that Angie pointed this out, and it's so funny that you called the last two episodes of this bloated, because Alaska's death, according to Angie's memory, happens at the midpoint of the book. Mm. So, huh. um, I mean, I that think, makes more. That's the yeah. thing. When we were watching it, I was like, "This is called Looking for Alaska." I thought she would like go missing first of all when we started, but like. It, I, I definitely right like, that makes more sense to me. Yeah, she's right there. She, I fucking found her. You <laughs> yeah. imbeciles. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it makes it makes more sense to me that she would die at the midway point, and that it would be a little bit more yeah. about picking up the pieces. And it makes me more frustrated with the str- way the show was written. That like there was just so much fucking bloat and like padding in all these first six episodes. Um, yeah. For nothing, basically. Like I, I, I really don't think any of that shit was necessary. Um, yeah. It, it's, I, I, yeah, it's frustrating. I, I think it was smart to move her death up later since, one, it's just like a classic, like, end of second act, everything shit goes up, you know, situation. Mm-hmm, yeah. I also think, again, like, I think four episodes of this kid moping would have, like, made me turn on the show really hard. I'm not saying yeah, that yeah. we needed six episodes of pranks, but I am saying that what we got, the six episodes of pranks we got was probably better than the alternative. And Angie, who read the book in a psych ward, um, apparently one of the girls uh, in the psych ward did the Alaska quote. Like she says, like, yeah, I drink because I want to die faster or whatever. Um, uh, Apparently looking for Alaska, the show is better for the specific reason that you are not in Miles' head. And apparently in the book, he is just insufferably awful which yeah mm-hmm. the glimpses of the voiceover narration we get like i'm looking for my great perhaps i'm obsessed with famous last words like yeah i could see that being like i could see that being a problem so the fact that we're we're taking more of a bird's eye view here is a huge help also yeah um and and to because i know we've been talking throughout this about like oh we didn't actually like hate this we want to kind of give its praise when it's due um, I really enjoyed the parts of the last two episodes that are kind of about, like, the 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 other surviving kids trying to, like, piece together the mystery of, like, what happened with yes. Alaska, right? Because they like they really don't, strong. Yeah, they yeah. don't know, like, why she just, like, all of a sudden in the middle of the night was like, oh, fuck, I gotta leave. They don't know whether she was, like too drunk and just like you know got in an accident because of that or whether she, she was committing suicide one bac man god damn yeah dude. good for her <laughs> she was killing it yeah at a um, point two one and- bac for a girl like oh my god what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> yeah if that bitch didn't crash her car she would have died of blood poisoning yeah, yeah. uh there's like a, a a phantom that's like an alcohol cloud just riding behind her in the car <laughs> Yeah, no. Yeah. Um, just shaped exactly like her body. Yeah, um, she was on but her yeah, fucking it's... Homer Simpson shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's, um... But it's like... I, we talked about how, like, one of the things with Paper Towns is that, like, it sucks at being a road trip movie. It sucks at being, like, a mystery story. It sucks at all these little, like, different modes that it's trying, like, intermittently throughout. Um, and... One of, like, the things that is really a a strong contrast here is that, like, this investigation shit is really good. Um, Yeah, it's it's strong. I I, I think that it is kind of, like, 
you know, we talked about like the, the real bait and switch with the paper towns thing where it's like, oh, you think that she's like leaving these ARG clues so that, uh, you know, the, the main character can like find her. Uh, but she's actually just saying like, oh, don't worry, I'm okay. Like, that's it. Um, and like here, there's no bait and switch because it's like kind of obvious from the get go that this is not like a super productive investigation. This is like... Yes. A couple of boys who are, like, really shell-shocked by their friend dying all of a sudden, like, trying to work through that grief in a way that is, like, understandable but insanely, like, counterproductive. Yes. No. That stuff is really strong. Um, A lot of the moments where they're just kind of dealing with it and they're really shitty to each other, also pretty strong. They're... I I just wanted to say, like, some of it's it's variable. I'm not going to pretend, like, all of it works, but, like... These kids are really fucking awful to each other in the immediate aftermath. Yeah. Like they're like saying, like, oh, it's your fault, mm-hmm. you killed her. And yeah. they're it's like again, it's uncomfortable. I was impressed mm-hmm. by it. Like, you know, normally like in these in these types of things, there'd be like a token blow up or whatever. Like it's like, oh, she w- she was so brave, but like we never gave time for her or whatever. But like, no, these kids are out for blood. And they're like really, really awful to each other in a way that you are when you're kind of processing this stuff in real time. So I'm just going to say that stuff kind of worked for me too. Yeah, um, I I absolutely agree. And the part of it that I think worked the best for me is um, with Takumi because like he's kind of been like a little left out of the loop with this. I don't think he was like there when like... The, the circumstances immediately leading up to Alaska's death went down. Um, Cause it was like, it was the Colonel and miles were in a room with Alaska and they're like telling him about like everything that went down. And we talked about him as being his character, like isn't the richest with traits, but like his main trait basically is that he's like the chill one, the slightly wiser one, the one who's sort of like, you know, a little more responsible and a little like tempering of their like desire to do like the most epic pranks. Um, and when they, like, tell tell him everything about, like, oh, yeah, she was, like, obviously drunk and she, like, told us to distract the eagle so that she could, like, go out driving. Um, he just blows up and says, like, she is a fucking six-year-old. You leave her alone for five minutes and she dies. And that yeah. line just made me, like, burst into laughter. Um, not in a way where it's, like, I'm not taking a show seriously, but because it is, like, so out of nowhere is this, like, really just, like funny raw expression of like a shitty adolescent anger you know and yeah. like it works so well as this idea of like kids not having the most productive handle on any of this but like still expressing those those like real emotions also also yeah. worked for me um alaska's tragic backstory uh we didn't touch on this but alaska's kind of like doesn't want to go home and she's really sheltered and it's revealed that like she basically is hiding from her dad because her mom had like a bad seizure when she was a kid and Alaska didn't know what to do since she was like five and she didn't call 911. And when mm. her dad got home, her dad blamed her for it basically. And, you know, explicated it and spelled it out. And I like, again, it's, you know, it's very obvious, like high melodrama or whatever, but it it's like, it's an appropriately messy situation that you could see happening in real life that, I was pretty receptive to at least. Yeah, the moment I really liked from the last couple episodes is right near the end, and it's um, Miles and the Colonel 
uh, driving past the spot where she died, and you can kind of see them getting emotionally, like, uh, you know, really wrecked as they get closer and closer, and they're just speeding up, going faster and faster. And I, re- I thought it was, like, a really well-directed, uh, just kind of strong moment to uh, to end on. Um, and I thought it was really unfortunate that immediately after that, they launch into, like, a 10-minute voiceover monologue. <laughs> Uh, to actually end the show. Yeah. I thought that was a great, like, in the movie version, that's where you end. You end on that mm-hmm. image and that thought, and it would have been pretty good. Um, but, yeah, yeah, unfortunate. My my husband was um, in, like, the next room, and he could, like, overhear some of it, and, like, during that final 10-minute monologue, just he had to leave and go to the other side of the apartment because he just could not take it anymore. Yeah, I think it was specifically the, the I will follow you into the dark cover. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that final monologue is rough. That's a that's a feels like yeah. something from the book. Um, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. I mean, it ends it ends like you know, with uh, Alaska's memory. Uh, they honor her by doing a prank, which um, they they invite like they pretend to invite someone to the school who's like a you know he's knowledgeable about teenage sexuality, and they just basically hire like a, a guy who works at a store to dress up like you know a professor and give a speech and then they you know they say he says something about like you know men objectify women but women don't objectify men and then they get a couple of their female friends to shout like take it off yeah show us your dick and um then he like strip dances in the middle of the school and uh well milkshake plays and even the dean is like i gotta give it up props to that um and again it's funny. It's cathartic. It like it brings everything full circle in a very neat way. It's it's you know it's amusing. I, I when when they were doing that, I was laughing to myself a little bit because it would be really funny to just like have a fake fucking speech at the middle of a you know at a big private school or whatever. Someone uh, actually, I just remembered another prank that actually did happen at a school was before my time. Everyone at our school has to give speeches for our, our senior year. And this one kid uh, gave a speech about architecture where he talked a lot about how much he loves domes and was like really emphasizing like, oh, I, I saw domes in like all these different countries and states, um, some of my favorite domes. And he got in so much fucking trouble, like almost expelled for it. It was uh, it was pretty clutch. But uh, no, it, cool. it was, it's an amusing little moment. And at the same time, mm-hmm. as I said before, though, it's like it's the problem with the show in the nutshell is that like it's hitting all these beats very ably. It's, um, you know, it's all the actors are pretty good. A lot of the writing's pretty sharp for this type of thing. And it's also just like there's this gloss of just complete phoniness over top of it that just kind of takes me out from wanting to really like go go to bat for it. I mean, yeah, that that's ultimately like I, I mean, I think. We come into anything we do on this show with a with a level of like uh uh criticism um yeah. and maybe like you know I, I it's not that i want to approach anything we are talking about in, in completely bad faith but like i definitely don't go in expecting to like anything yeah um i didn't think look at this was a very good miniseries but it was it was fine i didn't think it was objectionable in the ways that like uh frankly in the ways that i kind of expected it would be yeah is way better about female characters than paper towns was although that is a low bar and it does not clear it by much 
Um, I think this it's is fine. Surprisingly it is... competently directed yeah. throughout. Yeah, they got some good yeah, directors no. on this, Sh- frankly. Shout out to the, the person who directed a pilot, Sarah Adina Smith, who directed, like, one of our favorite, like, found footage, like, horror suspense dramas, uh, The Midnight Swim. Yes, great yeah. movie. Yeah, no. Um, uh, there's talent behind this. Like, this is focus grouped and it worked. This is, like, I guess this is, you know one of the benefits of peak prestige TV is that you, because there's so many moving parts, you're generally, generally, generally guaranteed a baseline of competence, even if like the actual material is kind of rancid. And yeah, yeah, this is like fine. If I had a son with an emotional problems, I would recommend this to him because it, uh, you know, if I was like 15 years old when I saw this, yeah, this would have like, you know, this would have been my shit. And yeah, (laughs) It, I don't know. It's, I was pleasantly surprised. This was not, I heard that it was a fucking goddamn endless seven hour miniseries and I was ready to fucking die. And it was totally fine. And you know what? This is the second time out of three times where we've had to very, very mildly give it up to John Green. Like, he's like, yeah. you know what? We came out with knives drawn out. Like, we came out ready to fucking go to town. And you, Past our very low expectations, you you made a, like you very mildly pleasantly surprised us. Paper Towns is still god awful though. Yeah, I, I mean I I think that like what we're really starting to learn, um, like over the course of these seasons or many seasons, you try to like form like a statement about who the artist is. Is that like John Green is really good at like translating the existence of like a boring adolescence into something that is like we said like more aspirational, right? He is very good at like capturing the 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 the, the real lived experiences of like kind of annoying teens and yeah. then giving them some kind of like plot impetus that like uh, and as well like some kind of hook, right? That just makes them seem more elevated and more like worth reading about um he seems to really struggle from a sample size of one of paper towns when he doesn't have something like that because again it's like well what is the hook of that compared to like you know the the looking for alaska potential suicide um or like the um cancer you know the stuff in fault in our stars with like the cancer kids it's like we talked about how it is the most boring possible way to end the manic pixie dream girl thing by saying that like there's a monologue where she says i'm not your girl that's gonna like help you you know find yourself i'm, I'm just fucked up and i have my own problems um that is nothing compared to like the manic pixie dream girl just like crashes into a tree and fucking dies yeah um and like you start to realize like oh were these traits that I was like idolizing actually just like sides of her being like really emotionally unwell? Yeah. <laughs> um. No, but yeah, I think I think that's all there is to say about this. It uh, it has its redeeming qualities. Like, frankly, I uh, I'm kind of shocked that we uh, John Green. You know, you you son of a bitch, you did it again. And I guess as we go through the season, I'm starting to realize that yeah, like. He's a he's been a target. He and his brother have been like an obvious target, like the McElroys for a while, since they're representative of this very tumblery, you know, kind of baby culture where you mistake being like, you know, a pos- like positive and an ally for having like a very 
limited and like almost sheltered view of the world, but uh, there's more here than I was expecting. He's a he's a very competent writer in his wheelhouse. He's very like okay at what he does. And honestly, if you're gonna take task like people for being like you know twee in this kind of format, like there's way worse offenders, way way worse offenders than this guy. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it. Uh, I think we found her. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Next week, uh, I think next week, we are going to do another bonus episode. I think it's about time we do another reading of Max's Pepe Le Pew script. I think it's about that time. So if you're not a patron, you're one of the many people who doesn't listen, but, uh, you know, what is, who listens but doesn't give us money, uh, if you give us, the $7 a month tier on those good old-fashioned values is Patreon. You can hear Esther, Hannah, and our good friend Cole, Java Jigga, talk about and read through the Max Landis unproduced Pepe Le Pew script. And it is as wonderful as you, uh, as you could imagine. Uh, we also talk about a bunch of other stuff there. We've done an episode on Smiley. We've done an episode on uh, Psychic Pebbles' show, Smiling Friends. We did That was the first one we did, actually. And uh, also, you get an extra bonus content with our other show. Uh, We just did an episode with a Philly comedian where we did a tier list of the sex positions and found new and inventive ways to torture our dear friend Andy, who's been on the show a bunch. So go check that out. Um, Otherwise, this has been Get Cynical, and uh, we'll see you all for whatever John Green project we're doing next. I think it's a... What the fuck is it? Look at the list. <laughs> I, don't I don't fucking know, man. We're doing abundance of You'll find it later. Yeah. All right. Catch you all next time. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.